Hey, well, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. We are incredibly excited to be here. Um, thanks. We have quite a number of visitors here today for Easter Sunday. Thanks for joining us today. We are really, really pleased that you're here. Um, as has been well introduced, we are a new church here in the Tri-Cities. Um, I, I just realized yesterday that it was one year ago today on Easter Sunday that we held our first preview service. So one year ago today, we had this preview service just testing the waters. He invited some friends, 25 of us sat down in a room and did a little time of worship and, and considered what is God calling us into in, in the months and years to come. Six months later, we launched here in this facility, and we've been meeting weekly since for about the last six months, and we are incredibly excited about what God is doing. Uh, we're incredibly excited about um, the progress that we've seen and the potential that we feel this holds for us as individuals, but beyond that, as a community. We, um, we, we've been a part of and pastored in churches um, through Throughout the Tri Cities um, and and uh, and in other places as well, and uh, and and one of the passions that we had as we began this church was we believe that that community centered around Jesus holds incredible potential, not just for individuals, but for the community around. And so we begin this journey saying, hey, we want to we wanna do Sunday well, and we want to celebrate Jesus well, and, and, and then we want to launch into a week that celebrates Jesus in the ways that we live, in the ways that we gather, in the ways that we serve, in the ways that we love. Like We want to create a culture in which we live life together and we live life in ways that glorify Jesus throughout the week. So thanks for joining us here this morning as we consider the resurrection. You know, as I was, uh, over the past few weeks as I've been preparing for this morning, I, I was struck by the irony that on Easter Sunday, many people visit churches for the first time who are still questioning faith. Uh, Sarah mentioned earlier that, that we are a church that really wants to create a, a place for people to explore Jesus, ask hard questions. And, uh, and so I know that here today we have people still on the fence. Who is this Jesus guy? What does it really mean? Could it or should it impact my life? And, and I realized the last couple of weeks that it's ironic that on Easter Sunday, when we have many people coming asking hard questions, that we start with the resurrection. Because let me be honest, in my life, the resurrection is one of the hardest things for me to understand and take hold of. And yet, the resurrection is also the reason I believe what I believe. And so I realize the irony and the challenge of speaking day one about resurrection. It's a big topic, uh, but we're going to get into it. Hey, do you remember those moments in life, um, those moments of clarity, where something new was realized, where something beautiful happened, and your eyes were opened in an entirely new way? I remember a few seasons in life where this happened. I remember after some really tumultuous, really um, challenging years in high school. I remember laying in my bed and um, just in tears and realizing a God that loved me in spite of who I had been. And, and I remember the way a, a light bulb came on and changed the course of my life as I realized that all the messed up things that I had done uh, had not sent me so far from God that he would not appear, but instead I felt God's love overwhelming me. That was a, that was a moment in life that changed the course of my life. I remember years later as I was exploring if I would find myself on the mission field or working stateside, I remember sitting um, on, a, on, on this bank overlooking uh, the Okavango Delta in Botswana, Africa, 
And I remember sitting watching the hippopotamus swim and play with their babies in the delta down there. And, uh, and in this moment, and in this just beautiful scene as the sun rose in Africa, just something changed in my heart. As I realized a God who loves and creates beauty and invites us to experience him in so many different ways. Many of you can relate to that, that, that moment you held your first child in your arms. And something just changes inside of you. You realize something that you'd never known. You realize a love that you'd never experienced. Those moments in life when, when the light bulb comes on and we realize, wow, there is a whole other level to this. And that's what the resurrection story was for thousands of people in the first century as they witnessed a, a risen Jesus. That's what it's been for many of us who have taken Jesus on. And, and, and at some point we realized this changes everything. You know, often when we think of the cross that, that leads up to this, we think of um, suffering. Um, or we wear crosses as necklaces, which isn't a problem, but sometimes we glamorize the cross like it's a beautiful symbol. In the first century, the cross was nothing beautiful. We often think of the suffering that Jesus experienced, which was severe, but uh, I won't, I won't um, go into the details, but Rome, as a nation, killed people in much more cruel ways than a cross. Um, cross was to, um, to deter uh, crime in the Roman world. It was humiliation, and it was done publicly that people would know, do not do what this man has done. And so they would crucify murderers and robbers that the, that the, that the citizens of the nation would know. Do not do this. It was, it, it was as much uh, suffering uh, as it was um, humiliation, right? And so I, I want to talk for a moment as we lead into the resurrection story about the journey to the cross. And I want to describe this. Some of us are familiar with it. That's okay. Sit, sit comfortably in your seat um, and, uh, and, and be reminded of this journey. Some of us aren't familiar, and, and, and some of this will be new to us. Um, a few days prior to the crucifixion, Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and he was hailed as a king. Now, this is the first time that the crowds, the masses, are allowed to, to just celebrate Jesus as a king. Thousands of people had been following him. I mean, 20,000, 30,000 people gathered in a space to listen to Jesus, to reach out and to try to touch his robes because they knew he was powerful. But in this moment, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he's being hailed as a king for the first time by the masses. And he enters Jerusalem, and um, as soon as he gets there, one of his 12 closest followers, they're called his apostles, he, he makes a deal with the religious and political leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, um, he, he, how he will betray Jesus. And so for a, a sum of money, he will betray Jesus in a remote place where the crowds will not fight back and rebel. And Judas makes this deal that he would betray Jesus. And then a, a few moments later, Jesus Jesus is now sitting around a table with his 12 apostles, Judas there as well, and they share what's called the Last Supper. And Jesus breaks bread, and no one understands what's happening yet in this moment. None of the 12 fully get it. He breaks the bread, and he said, this represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And he takes the fruit of the vine, and he says, this represents my blood that will be shed for you. And they don't get it, but they experienced it. And uh, and so he has his last meal, and he heads up to the Mount of Olives where they're praying. We 
which is when he's arrested. A crowd, a mob uh, comes to arrest him. And Peter, his um, most excitable uh, uh, apostle, um, he pulls out his sword and he's ready to fight. Uh, no one else fights and Jesus stops that. His apostles run away. Well, he then is brought, uh, he's mocked and he's tried and he's beaten. Um, and uh, the next day, he carries his cross down the road. Again, a part, of, part of the shame that is brought upon a person that's to be crucified, that everyone in town gets to watch him walk to the hill that he'll be crucified while he carries this cross on his back. And on that hill, Jesus was crucified. His followers had scattered. A few women were there to witness. A few women stuck with him. And uh, um, virtually alone, after thousands, 20, 30,000 people would follow him everywhere he went. He died alone on that cross. And a, a few days later, um, it's interesting to note that no one is waiting at the tomb for the resurrection. Have you ever noticed that? No one is waiting there. They, they didn't get it. He told them over and over, I'm going to die, but I'm going to, three days later, I will raise from the dead. But they didn't believe it and they didn't understand it uh, because the Savior they were expecting was going to be a king and restore Israel to its former glory, and they, they didn't get it. And so no one's sitting waiting at the tomb. Instead, people are hiding and dejected and, and depressed because their Savior, the one that they hoped was coming, had died on a cross. And so in Luke chapter 24, in the first 12 verses, I'll summarize them, and then we're going to read the next section as a, as a church together this morning. Um, the first few verses then are the story of these women, um, his closest followers, going to the tomb uh, to, to mourn over him and to prepare his body. And so they brought spices. Notice that no one's expecting what's about to happen. They come to mourn and, and to bring spices and when they get there, they find that the tomb is empty and they're confused. And an angel appears to them and he says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they think, what a curious statement to have made. And it tells us that, that they remembered his words and that the women there, they understood what was happening. And so they hurried back and they told the apostles, it's happened. He's risen from the dead. An angel appeared to us. And the apostles, well, they think it sounds like nonsense. And so they brushed them off. Except for Peter, who ran back and he found the strips of linen laying where Jesus had been buried. And, and he's he, he, hunched over with these strips of linen in his hand. He sits and he wonders what could have happened. And let me just step out of the story for a moment to say, women, this is your passage. This is it, okay? And let me say why. Because this is the beautiful thing that happens. Uh, as Jesus is hanging on a cross, the women are there with him. A few days later, it's the women that approach the tomb to prepare his body. The angels, the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection are these women. As, as, as an angel comes and he says he's risen, and what do the women do? They remember, and they go and they tell people, and they tell the men, hey, Jesus has risen, and the men go, huh? And that's it. That's all they get. And I know that's, that's a familiar situation in your household, right? You're sitting around the table, and, um, and uh, you're having a family conversation, and all of a sudden you realize your husband is somewhere else, physically there, but he is some. Are you with me, right? So, so this is familiar, but this is, this is it. I mean, the first witnesses of a risen Savior were, were these women uh, who, who come to prepare Jesus' body. And, uh, and the men, they didn't get it. They're dejected, and they're depressed, and they don't understand what's happening. 
until Luke 24, verse 13. And let's begin to read our passage together this morning. Um, Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked among them, but, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? So, so Jesus, you know, some, that iconic question, does God have a sense of humor? Does Jesus have a sense of humor? Let me just say, I absolutely believe so. I think this is a fascinating story. As Jesus risen from the dead now, um, this is like the moment of glory where all of Jerusalem understands that Jesus has risen from the dead, but instead of some huge, magnificent display of his power after his resurrection, he comes walking down the road. And he walks up next to two guys, and keep in mind, this is the first century. He, they don't have the internet. Jesus didn't have the internet in this moment. And so he was unable to Google himself in any other way than to say, hey, what's going on here around us right now? Right? So Jesus Googles himself in this story, and, and he says, what are you guys talking about? Tell me what's happening. And, and, and they say, are you serious? You're the only one that hasn't heard. And, and we see that news of Jesus and his crucifixion had spread throughout the entire region. Everyone is talking about it. And, 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 uh, and so he asks, so what, what's happening right now? Because everyone knew of, uh, of what had happened, of, of this Messiah that they had hope in who had died. And let me just say, as dreary as our political situation might be right now, um, it was worse right here in the first century. Yeah, um, because these people, um, they, are, uh, they feel entirely betrayed by their religious and political leaders. Right? Uh, they had hope in this Messiah. They had hailed him as a king as he entered Jerusalem, and then their religious and political leaders had just killed him. And so, so, so everyone is asking, what is happening right now? And so in verse 19, Jesus um, asks, so, so what things are, are happening right now? And they say about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers. They handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, uh, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us um, that, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these men, confused and distraught, are describing the situation. He was a prophet. He was powerful. People are still exploring, could he be the Messiah, the Savior? And they say, we know he was a prophet, but we had hoped that he was more than just a prophet. And I'm curious as we reflect on our own place in our, in our spiritual journeys, if many of us are in a place similar to these men right here. We, we know something special about Jesus, right? There's something special about that man, right? Islam and so many Eastern religions would say, yeah, Jesus was a great prophet. 
He had a lot of good things to say. A lot of people who, who are spiritual would say, yeah, Jesus had some powerful things to say. But the question is, the question they're asking is, is he something more? We had hope that he was more than just that, that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And redeeming in, in Israelite culture, that was the process of purchasing someone or something out of slavery. A family member could come and redeem. If someone had fallen into debt and was an indentured servant for a season, a family member could come and buy them out of slavery. And so they had hoped, they had hoped Jesus was going to come and he was going to purchase our way out of the burden and, and the slavery of Rome. We were going to be free again, and we had such hope that he could be something more. But he died three days ago, and now we don't even know where his body is. And I imagine many of us have experienced seasons like this where we say, I think there's something more. I hope Jesus is more. Can you relate to that statement? I hope that Jesus is more because if my day in, day out job is all I got, it it feels empty. Chasing the corporate dream, it's just not cutting it, right? How many situations in life with, with coworkers and with friends and family and sickness and hurt do we say, I hope Jesus is more than the experiences I'm having right here in life and in this moment. I hope he is more. Maybe, maybe he could invite me into something more. And that is where they're left. But where is the body and what has happened? And it continues in verse 25, and he said to them, how foolish are you? Again, sense of humor. Let's, let's say sense of humor. Uh, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went with, he, he, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to him. It's significant to, to note here that they're sitting at a table. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, the major revelations and the major realizations happen around a table. It speaks to the beautiful communal relational nature that Jesus came to form. It's not by accident that as a church we said we want more than an informal Sunday gathering. We want to create places, pockets in our community where relationship that revolves around Jesus, that revolves around loving people regardless of who they are and what they believe. We want to create space at the table for people. It's significant that Jesus is sitting at a table as he will finally reveal himself to these people. He says to them, how foolish you are. And, and I know that Jesus has had to say that of me so many times in my walk. As, as I've been bogged down in life and feeling weak and alone and feeling down. And Jesus says, how foolish are you to not realize I'm walking right beside you in this journey, and I get it. He's not insulting me. He's saying, man, I have been with you through this journey. And so in verse 31, as Jesus breaks the bread and as he reaches out to hand it to these two men, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Then they got up and they, they returned to Jerusalem, back the seven miles they had just traveled. And there they found the 11 and, and those with them assembled together and saying, and, and, and they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. So Israel, these two men, representative of Israel in this moment, are dejected and they're sad and they're fearful. They're confused and have no clue what's happening. And Jesus appears to them on the road and he walks with them. He begins to guide their understanding and he leads them to a table where they sit together and he breaks bread and he reveals to them hope found in the resurrection. And I imagine in seasons of fear and confusion and, 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 and when we're distraught in life, which many of, the, uh, uh, many of us in this room might be in this season of life, feeling overwhelmed by life and in those moments, I wonder if Jesus, like in these two men's life, if we look back over life, realize the way Jesus has been guiding, guiding our understandings and leading us to a table, that in community we can have that realization of a risen Savior and to find hope in him. I'm reminded of Greenleaf. He was a, uh, a lawyer and one of the founders of Harvard Law School. And, uh, and Greenleaf uh, hated uh, the resurrection story. Uh, he did not understand how so many people could believe something so asinine. And so Greenleaf, he went on a quest to disprove the resurrection story. As a lawyer, he was going to disprove uh, its existence. And over the course of his study, Greenleaf as you can imagine, since I'm telling this story, became a Christian. Because he said there is more empirical evidence, that is, um, eyewitness evidence that would stand up in a court of law still today, of Jesus' resurrection than of most historical figures' existence. He said the eyewitness um, testimony of people of a risen Savior is unbelievable. And naturally, he was chastised for his conclusion. But this lawyer went on this quest to understand because the eyewitness accounts, the empirical evidence, was overwhelming for him. And so we place ourselves then in the story, looking back over life. And I'll invite you for a moment to think back about maybe the ways God has been guiding you, the ways Jesus has been walking alongside us, and we, don't, we didn't recognize it. We didn't get it in the moment, but as we look back, we think of those milestones in life when the light bulb came on and we realized something new and beautiful. And maybe for a moment we get to start to say, thank you, Jesus, for for those opportunities. Thank you that you've been walking with me on the way. And, And hopefully those moments and that journey that Jesus has been walking, one day comes this climactic realization where we recognize in communion with Jesus, in communion with a friend or here together, that moment where we realize he's alive. Because let me say, if he's alive, it changes everything. 
the job that's weighing me down, the stress in life, the addictions that I have, things change. If Jesus, if God demonstrated power over death, what's more final than death? Well, then everything can change if a Savior has risen. The God that that some believe to be angry and spiteful demonstrated absolute peace in the crucifixion of his son. Consider for a moment the way most would react at, at the crucifixion of their son, the way that God could have reacted to retaliate against Israel. And Jesus' final words in the passage we read today, he, he sits down and he, and he appears then to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. And I want to consider that the story of God, the big scope of the story of God in Scripture is about bringing peace. Because all this turmoil and all this death and terrorist attacks and terrible things exist in the world around us. But Jesus appears, risen from the dead, saying, peace be with you. And I want to imagine just for a moment what it might be like if we took hold of the peace that Jesus invites us to and began to demonstrate it and to live it in the world around us. If we came to believe in a risen Savior who is bringing peace, when God could have retaliated, instead he chose resurrection, he chose new life. And in those seasons of life and in the challenges we face when it's absolutely overwhelming rather than retaliating like we so easily could and so often do, that we chose new life and peace found in a risen Savior. God has shown his love and he has brought peace in a risen Savior. Jesus, risen, is the assurance of peace with God and an invitation to a life of peace in the world around us. You know, um, I had a, a pretty amazing experience just yesterday. Um, years ago, I had sat and had coffee um, with a young man who had explored all sorts of religions and uh, had very little interest in, um, very interested in knowing a lot more. Uh, very little interest and commitment to God, but he was a fascinating young man who, who I saw such potential in. And so four or five times we sat and we um, and had coffee together and we talked about Jesus and, and who Jesus really is and who he's portrayed to be in our culture. And, um, and, and uh, a few years after, after a few meetings, um, we fill out a communication. And a couple years later, in fact, just yesterday, a young man named Daniel reached out to me. And he said, I have explored everything I can find to explore, and I'm ready to be baptized. And so Daniel's here with us today. Daniel, will you come up here? Because I wanted you to share just a little bit of your your journey with us. Um, Because Daniel's an amazing young man to me. Um, Daniel, here's what I'm curious about. As you look back over life, um, have you, uh, can you identify in any ways the way Jesus has kind of walked with you through those journeys and those questions? Um, trials and tribulations he's always been there when something goes wrong you know uh, had a rough childhood big explosions would happen in life you know a mountain would be put in my way or the ocean would be right in my face and there would be nowhere for me to go well I that's what I would feel anyway but then I I would start to realize that when 
you know, God's not moving the mountains you feel he needs to move, and he's not separating the water that you can't walk through. He's there right next to you, and he's with you. And so through life with all these big, terrible things that had happened, um, he was right there with me, and he, he pointed me in the right direction. I could feel it. I could feel it in my spirit and in my soul that what's happening might be rough, but no matter what, keep heading in the right direction. And, you know, through the studying of that I've done throughout the years, it always brought me back. It always brought me back. And now that I've learned as much as I could learn, I'm back here with Micah again today, and he's going to take me to the river, and uh, I'll be reborn. So That's incredible. What a story, man. Yeah. God. Do you have any sense of what God is calling you towards in the days and the years to come? People. He's calling me to spread love, the connection between humans, the connection between me and you and all of you together. Um, I, f- I had a lot of big dreams with my life. I was uh, going to college. I wanted to become a lawyer and become a politician eventually. And I feel like he's called me away from those dreams for now, that there's, I need to fo- be with the people. I need to be here. I need to be a human. That's a beautiful thing, Daniel. So we are going to head out after service. If anyone wants to join us, you're welcome to. We're going to head down to the Columbia River off Edison, uh, near, near the Edison exit there on the Columbia River. And, uh, and we're going to baptize Daniel this morning. And, and this is a story. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you, man. Um, this is a story that, that resurrection tells. Romans 6 speaks of it in this way, that in baptism, um, uh, that the old can be washed away, that we can be buried as Jesus was buried, and as Jesus rose again to new life, that, that we are invited into new life. So just, I want to extend this invitation. Um, as you feel God pulling in your life, as you feel, as you experience Jesus walking alongside you, I want you to know that there is hope of new life. That the most radical claim of Christianity that new life can exist is also the reason I am a follower of Jesus, because new life can exist. Man, when I did it my way, it just, it wasn't enough. But in Jesus, resurrection is the potential. We're going to pray together for Daniel, for us, and for resurrection. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together, and we thank you for an opportunity just to explore the resurrection story. And Father, as extreme and as huge as it is, Father, I thank you for the experiences I've had that we've had in life um, to be drawn towards your Son, that that at a table one day uh, we can realize that Jesus is inviting us to know new life. Father, we thank you for Daniel and his commitment, and I pray, Father, that you will continue to work powerfully in his life uh, to call him to a greater hope, uh, Father, that in turn he can be an agent of, of your good news and your hope in the world around him. Father, we thank you for Jesus today. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that's found in that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.